Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Join me in, in uh, praying for me. <laughs> God, I want to ask that um, more, than, more than giving me words, I just want to ask that you give me your heart. Uh, I ask that you give me your heart for creativity ask that you give me your heart for art and for artists. And I pray that out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth would speak this morning. (coughs) Reveal yourself to us as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Hey, we're communicating or taking the fall to talk about the vision and values of, of Radiant Church and and we're doing that because we're hoping to enroll you. Um, it's unapologetic. I'm not trying to hide a pill in your food or sneak something past you. Um, we'd love for you to be a part of what we're up to. Um, we're excited about what we're doing. We're excited about what Jesus is doing. We're excited about um, being with him on mission. So, you know, so we're, we're kind of laying out. This is who we are, this is what we value, this is what's important to us, because we think it's really important for a church to be able um, to agree on what is a victory, what is the win. You know, any athletic team can look at the scoreboard and know whether they've won or lost. They know how to read the scoreboard, and, and they understand that either we got a victory today or we, or we lost, and I think it's really important for even a church to understand what, what is the win? What are we going for? And how do we know if we've done it? And Because um, I don't know about you guys, you've probably been around church before, but everyone's got a little bit of a different idea of what the win is, right? You know, some people think it's a win to have a big church. Some people think it's a win to have a small church. You know, some people think it's a win to be out there in the community. Some people think it's a win to separate yourself from the community. Some people think it's a win when Travis opens the Bible and faithfully teaches for an hour and a half, line upon line, precept upon precept. Well, then we've done it. Then we've done church. Some people think we've really done it when Sean leads four songs for 45 minutes and we sing things over and over again and they get deeper and deeper by the way, let me, let, me, let me help you. You know, how many times do I remind you guys of the same stuff? Every week. Every week, it, if you've not been here long, you'll figure this out quick. Every message boils down to probably one or two things maybe, right? And I say it over and over again because we're prone to forget. And when we hear it over and over again, it goes deeper, why would it be any different with the truths that we sing? Why would we sing them just once as if you've got it? Oh, God's great. Got it. 
Right. Oh, yeah, I already said that. Yeah, I'm clear. No, you're not. Come on. That's why we sing it over and over again, because it gets deeper and deeper in us. And we're prone to forget these things. So we say them again, and we say them again. And the church has been saying the same message for thousands of years. It has not changed. We need to do the changing. And so we keep saying it, we keep saying it, and we keep singing it, and we keep singing it, and we're unapologetic about saying it and singing it. So that's why, if you're wondering, geez, we have sung that before. We are, we've been here on, at this line for quite some time. That's why we don't, it, it's on purpose. It's not Sean trying to figure out something else to say, buying time, <laughs> filling space. It's, it's, it's what we're up to. Right, Sean? Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes Sean's buying time. <laughs> Sometimes Sean's buying time. I'm buying time right now. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about seeing Jesus, beholding Jesus. We, it starts there for us. And, and then we want to put his brilliance on display. And we want to put his brilliance on display by living lives that are obedient to his word, surrendered to his spirit, and devoted to his mission. And obviously Jesus is the model for all of this, that he lived a life that was obedient, um, surrendered and also devoted to mission. And so um, hopefully, again, everything comes back to Jesus that we're talking about here this morning. Um, but, the, but I think that there are things that result from living lives that are obedient to the word. And I think there are things that result from leaving, living lives that are surrendered to the spirit. And one of the things that I think stems from a life that is surrendered to the Spirit is creativity. And I'll unpack this as, as we go forward, because I know some of you just wrote me off, you know. When, when I say that we have a value for and that we long to be a creative church, some of you are bowing out because you've decided that you don't have a creative bone in your body. In fact, some people that I've talked to have decided that they don't fit in this church. Many people come in and, and you're aware um, that this is a church that values creativity, that we want to be a creative church, and you decide right away that you don't fit because you're not creative. And I want to help you broaden your definition of what it means to be creative because I think we've mixed, the, we've mixed some words up. We think when we say someone's creative uh, that we're saying that they're artistic. And when we say that we're not creative, I think what we mean is that we're not artistic. And so I'd like to separate those two things, creativity and, and being artistic as being different. I want to say something to those who know that you're not creative. And I want to say something to people who know that you are uh, creative this morning because we value it. We want to be, again, a creative church and we, we, we value creativity. Not creativity for cre creativity's sake, not art for art's sake, but art for God's sake as a means to an end, as a way to reflect Him, as a way to put His brilliance on display. We long to be a creative church. 
and I'll explain what I mean by that. Creativity is defined as having or showing an ability to make new things or think of new ideas. Who here has the ability to make something? Who, ha- who here has the ability to think of new things? Great. <laughs> you have the ability to do more than imitate. You have the ability to do more than mimic. We can create. We've each been given an imagination and we are constantly creating. Even for those of you who have decided, I'm not like that. I am not creative. You're constantly creating. Constantly creating thoughts. Constantly creating experiences. Constantly connecting the dots that are completely unique to you. You can do this. In fact, you do do this. This is what you do. And I I realize for some of you, you've been telling yourself for maybe decades that you're not creative. So I'm going to spend some more time trying to convince you that you are, in fact, creative. I'm not here to say this morning, I don't believe that everyone here is artistic. Not everyone here is artistic, but everybody here is creative. And I'm not up here, you know, to give away participation awards or to tease you or patronize you by saying, no, you're really creative, you know. Everybody's a winner here. That finger painting looks great when it doesn't. (laughs) I am not trying to be nice to you this morning. That's not my desire. Jesus was never once described as nice, and the word does not appear in Scripture. It's not our calling as Christians to be nice. In fact, as I, I, I did a little research on the word nice, and it's from the, word, the Latin word necius, and it actually means ignorant. That's the root of our word nice. It means ignorant. And before our current definition became established, it also meant foolish. And I think that that's what nice is a lot of the time, is just ignorant and foolish. You know, that we're denying the reality. That painting is not good. You're not an artist. Okay? I'm not here saying you're an artist. I am here saying that you're creative. So I want you, for those here who you would say, I'm not um, a creative. I'm not into that. I don't decorate like that. I don't sing like that. Whatever, whatever you've decided, however you've compared yourself to someone else, I'd like you to consider a few things. The first thing I'd like you to consider is God. Consider God and consider that you were created in the image of a creator. You were created in the image of a creator. It is in your blood to create. It is. You have a capacity to create. You actually have a hunger to create. Let me read this uh, famous chapter from... um, Genesis. This is the first thing you would read if you started to read uh, your Bible. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is our introduction to God. And the first thing that he wants to say about himself, the first thing that he wants to teach us, the first thing that he wants to tell us is that he's a creator. That's the first thing that we come to know about him. And it's not just our our introduction to God the Father, it's our introduction to God the Holy Spirit. So it makes sense that as a group of people, as we surrender to the Holy Spirit, the one who created and is recreating us, that we would become creative people. That when we're led by the Spirit and we don't walk any longer according to the flesh, that we're going to step out of what's normal and we're going to create something new with Him. What God's wanting to say about Himself here is that He is the supreme artist. What He wants you to know about Himself and about His character is that He is the supreme artist. And for the next six days... He brings form to things that are formless. He brings shape to things that don't have any shape. And he actually brings um, things to life. You've probably read the creation account before. And on the sixth day, we read this in verse 26. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. I don't know if you've, you missed it there, but I, I think the author is trying to get a point across. So God created Mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Pretty clear, right? Saying it like a preacher says it three times. (laughs) God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Down to verse 31, Genesis chapter 1. Then it says, God saw all that He made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. I was asking myself the question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it actually mean to be made in His image? And, and, and pretend like you have no preconceived ideas about God. Pretend that you actually don't know or that you're not coming to Scripture with an idea of who He is. That you're literally opening Genesis 1 with a clean slate. You've got no les- lenses on. You've got no ideas. And you're opening it trying to figure out who God is and what it means that we're made in His image. 
The only two things we're told about God before we're told that we're created in His image is that He can create and delight. What it means that you are created in the image of God is that you can create and you can delight. We don't know that He's good. We don't know that He's kind. We don't know that He's loving just yet. We don't know anything about Him except for He can create and He can delight. So when it says in verse 30 of Genesis chapter 1 that you were created in His image, what that means is that you can create and you can delight. You were given that capacity. You can do it. You're creative. You're a winner. If, if, if creation um, itself, um, if what you see doesn't reveal to you that God is creative, what you read should reveal to you that God is creative. You were made in His image and you can look at the works of His hand. You can look, and I'm not just talking about wait for a good rain to come and take a look at our mountains. Look around the room. Look at the works of his hand. He does no two things alike. He's a creator, and you've been created in his image. That means you can create and you can delight. And it's one of the great gifts that he's given us. If what you see around in creation is not evidence enough to support that God is creative, um, what you read should help you understand that God is creative, right? Uh, your Bible is, is uh, God revealing Himself to us. We say about the Bible that God has revealed Himself in His Word to us, right? That that's what He's done. I think it's really, really unfortunate. How many of you have heard the Bible described as basic instructions before leaving earth? terrible description of the Bible. Don't ever say that about the Bible. Because I, I think I, I understand what people are, are saying, you know, about it. Um, but when we say that the Bible is some sort of instruction manual for us, it makes the Bible about us, about what we're to do, about some sort of code of ethics. I understand that all that stuff is in there. But the Bible is about God. God has revealed Himself through Scripture. It wasn't His primary goal to reveal to you how you should live. He wanted to reveal Himself to you. So I get that there are instructions. I get that there's codes. I get that there's ways to live your life. But primarily, the Bible is God revealing Himself to us. And what is God revealing about Himself when He writes in poetry? I'm, as a Christian, I'm telling you, you've devoted your life to poetry. When you say, I'm going to commit myself to this text, that book is full of songs. What is he wanting to say about himself? What is he communicating as the supreme artist? When that book is full of parables, 
Not just historical narratives and not just epistles that tell us how to live. Juicy love songs right in the middle of it. Like the type of love songs that they kept young Jewish boys from reading. Right in the middle of it. What is he wanting to say about himself? I mean, if it was just basic instructions before leaving earth, what's up with the bizarre apocalyptic visions? I mean, can you imagine getting an instruction manual for something and it starts with like poetry or a song? You know, I can imagine like it's Christmas Eve. I've got a half an hour to put together something that's going to take me four hours to put together. I rip the box open. I try to do it without the instructions. I fail. I finally grab the instructions. I open the instructions and it starts with some sort of prophecy about my daughter riding the bike, you know? Or you buy, you, buy some sort of, you buy some sort of washer-dryer combo. And, you know, and it starts with this poem. There was laundry scattered all over the floor. You know, it, was a, it was a dark day. It was a dark day, you know. I'd be like, what the heck? You know, like, what is this? Your Bible is not just some owner's manual. It's not just instructions on how to live your life, although it is. To reduce it to that is wrong. God has revealed himself to us in Scripture. It's an anthology of stories. I mean, just that in itself. I mean, it's just one big narrative, you know? I don't know. Laments. What is God wanting to tell us about himself? So, if you're still not convinced that you're not creative, maybe you were convinced, you know, three points ago, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) I, I also want you to consider that you follow Jesus. For those of you who would say, I'm not creative, consider that you follow Jesus, a man who reinvented everything and cut human history in half. A homeless guy without a PA system, and our calendar is divided before him and after him because he changed everything. That's the man that you follow. And I find it fascinating, even as I read about his life, that he gives us really no patterns, but he does give us these principles. Jesus knew that he would have billions of followers, and he gives us no one, two, three, easy step pattern to following him. That's not what we get. No patterns, only these principles that guided his life. And this is the man that we follow. This is the man we want to emulate. We want to be like a creative genius. He never healed two people the same way. Jesus, how do you heal people? Well, sometimes you touch them. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you wait for them to come. Sometimes you go after them. Sometimes you speak to them. Sometimes you spit in mud and rub it in their eyes. Crazy, right? 
no pattern but these principles of compassion and healing and God wanting to reach out. Following him is going to demand that we be creative, that we do something more than just imitate or mimic. How would you, I, I can't wait to meet the guy, you know, in heaven who says to me, a lot of people spit in God's face, but God actually spit in my face, you know, and you're like, <laughs> awesome, I've read about you. God spit in your face. You can't reduce following him to some formula. Again, there are principles, absolutely. Farmers understand these principles, but they aren't just real predictable patterns. This, again, says something about our God that he is creative. Something else you'll see in the life of Jesus that I think is amazing is that creativity in his life is born out of crisis. There's always an issue. There's always an obstacle. There's always scarcity. There's always lack. And some of us think that we're not creative because there's lack in our lives. But the truth is, is that lack or scarcity is an essential ingredient in creativity. There's nothing more creative to me than a single mom. I have no idea how they do what they do. They find a way to do it. They find a way to connect the dots in a way that no one else can. The obstacles and the limits that they faced, that Jesus faced, were actually, they actually produced creativity and miracles. They didn't limit creativity. I, I, I know that you guys have probably experienced this, but one of the things that happened for me when I started following Jesus is that problems that were not my problems became my problems. I had a really easy time walking down the street and dismissing things as that person's problem. That's not my problem, that's their problem. And then you start to follow Jesus, a man who made other people's problems his problems. Like he took responsibility for, for issues that weren't his. And when you start to follow Jesus, what you find out is that other people's problems are our problems. That what it's going to mean for us to follow Jesus is that their problem is my problem. And so now it's not so easy to walk down the street and dismiss homelessness as somebody else's problem. It's not so easy to walk down the street and dismiss poverty as somebody else's problem. It's not so easy to walk down the street and ignore violence and just dismiss that as somebody else's problem. It's not as easy to go to work and just say, well, that's somebody else's cubicle. That's their issue. What it means to follow Jesus is to take responsibility for things that aren't our problems and to make them our problem. And in that place of crisis, in that place of understanding the need, in that place of understanding the lack, some amazing creative things come about. You know the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000, right? Where they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, everyone's here and everyone's hungry. Lack, scarcity, not enough. What are we going to do? And from it, from the lack, from the obstacles, from the scarcity, 
creativity is produced. A miracle is produced because of the lack. I, I, guess, I, I guess I started to think to myself this week that the world is not divided between people who are creative and people who are not. I think that the world is divided between people who are believing God for something that is going to force them to be creative and people who aren't. It's believing God for something that's bigger than us, right? That is going to force us to be creative. There are people who are contending for God to do something, something big, and it's going to require creativity. And there are those that are not contending for God to do something out of the norm, right? How, let me ask you this question. I mean, when you get baptized into being a parent and you've taken that on and you've decided, I'm going to be this kind of parent and I'm going to raise my kids in this kind of way, it forces you to be creative because it doesn't work out quite the way you thought it should. And so you're constantly solving problems constantly, um, you know, attempting to approach it in a different way, constantly trying to connect with them. And so you've whispered and you've yelled and there's timeouts. And then that one time we went to spankings and then we felt bad. So we went to the reward system where it was just about reinforcing good behavior. You know, I mean, you've attempted it all because you're in over your head. There are those who are in over their heads and it forces them to be creative And then there are those who are playing it safe. To follow Jesus is to be in over your head. Their problems become your problems, and it's going to force you to be creative. How are we going to reach our... Let let me ask you this. If you think creativity is just unnecessary, that it's a luxury, that it's not essential, that it shouldn't be a value for a church, let me ask you this. How will we reach our city without it? How will we reach our city without creativity? How will we evangelize a post-Christian culture? They've heard it before. No, 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 they just need to hear it again. No, they've heard it before. They've been to church, and they don't want anything to do with it. They've dismissed it as foolishness. How will you reach them if the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire creative ways to connect with them and communicate the gospel? How will you do it? How will we take on homelessness without creativity? How will we finance what God's wanting to do on the face of this earth without creativity? By the way, our financial team is a creative team. None of us, none of them would describe themselves as creative. Or they, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you do. But, you know, it's not, hey, would you be a part of our financial team? We were hoping you were creative. You know, that's not our hope, you know. In fact, the, the application to be a part of our financial team looks more like, do you play guitar? No, I don't. Good. Have you ironed a shirt? Yes, I have. Great. Do you know what a fiduciary is? Yes, I do. Great. You're on. You know, like, <laughs> we're not looking for creative people. We wouldn't describe our financial team as a creative team. That's why we call them a financial team. But this is what happens to our pastoral staff that I would say says of itself that it's a creative team. We get stuck. We can't see a way around what we're looking at. And we go to the financial team. We present what's going on to them. And they go, 
Have you ever thought of this? <laughs> no. I didn't realize that was a possibility. And have you ever thought about this? No, that's a good idea. You know, and every once in a while you're tempted to be like, yeah, I thought about that, but no, I didn't. I didn't think of that. Stuck. A creative group of people stuck going to a financial team because they're able to bring something that we don't have. I don't even know where I was at. We have to find creative ways. We have to find creative ways. We have to have creativity. How will we do what God has asked us to do without it? How how will we deal with addiction? How will we do it? I got an email from a friend this week who started um, a nonprofit, and it's actually called Porn Scar, attempting to help people with their pornography addiction. And I read some of the statistics, and I was like, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And I just thought, I was just so stoked. I was like, that's so creative. Even that name is so creative. And how he told his story of walking out of an addiction to pornography, it was like, we need more of this. If this problem is our problem, if this problem is the church's problem, then we have to have create creativity. It's essential. It's vital. It's not a luxury. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to evangelize a group of people that have already heard it, already dismissed it as foolishness. We have to have it. You've been created in the image of a creator. You worship and follow. You want to emulate Jesus. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Again, our introduction to the Holy Spirit is at creation. We see Him hovering over the waters, getting ready to bring something out of nothing. He's going to make a way where there is no way. And the Holy Spirit is still doing this. He's still creating and recreating us. We're still being sanctified by His Spirit. We're still learning to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is creative and He brings new things to pass. You need evidence of this and the creation account is not enough. You should look into uh, Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the church. And people argue over what this means. Acts chapter 2, is it just a description of what happened or is it a prescription for us today? What do we do with Acts chapter 2? Well, I can tell you one thing about Acts chapter 2, and that is that when the Holy Spirit blows in at Pentecost, the comfortable and the predictable and the normal ways of relating blow out the door. That's what I do know by reading Acts chapter 2, right? You can read it for yourself, but there's a a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, and the result of it is new ways of communicating. There's a group of people gathered that needs to hear the gospel, 
And so the Holy Spirit empowers a group of believers to speak a foreign language. New ways of communicating come about when we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They start dreaming. Uh, when, when Peter describes what this is, this outpouring, he says that what's going to happen is that old men are going to start dreaming dreams. Young men are going to start seeing visions. Sons and daughters are going to start prophesying, which means that you start calling things that are not as though they are. What is more creative than that? Calling things that are not as though they are. That's what's going to start to happen when the Holy Spirit, and this is probably the most out-of-the-box thing that Peter says, is poured out on all flesh when quoting Joel. So, for those of you who've decided you're not creative, I, I beg to differ You're created in the image of a creator. You follow Jesus. And you've been given the Holy Spirit who creates and recreates. So I'm going to spend the rest of our time together uh, talking about those, talking to those who do feel like, no, I am created and I'm especially creative. And you would probably describe yourself as artistic. That is that you can relate to art or artists or you have skill in the fine arts. Again, that is not creative. That is artistic. If you relate to art and to artists and if you have skill in the fine arts, then you are artistic. I want to speak to those who would say, I'm especially creative. You know, we understand this about gifting, right? That there, everyone is called to pray, but there will be some who are especially gifted to pray. You'll seek them out going, could you pray for me? Because your prayers are different than everybody else's. That guy, I don't know who he's talking to when he prays for me. When you pray for me, I feel like someone's... You laugh because it's true. We know, we know that people are especially... We're all called to evangelize. But there are some who are especially gifted, right? So we're all called to be creative, but I do believe that there are some who are especially created, who are artistic, who um, have been given a gift uh, from God. So open your Bible to Exodus 31. I'm going to read a passage and just make a few quick points. We'll pray and send you on your way. To all the artists in our church, I just want to start by saying, we want you. We're excited that you're here. Exodus 31 has a lot to teach us about what God believes about creativity, and it has a lot to teach us about how God sees art. Exodus 31, Exodus is the second book of your Bible. The Lord says to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahimep, wait, Ahim, Ahizamech, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability 
that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat that's on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, a lot of utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. You're probably reading this going, Travis, why is this so significant? And I actually, I think this is incredibly significant. Because what I see here is God putting his divine blessing both on art and on artists. This is the first reference in Scripture to God filling someone with his spirit. The very first reference to God filling someone with his spirit. And it is not a communicator. It is not a leader. It is not a priest. It's a contractor. I think it's incredibly significant. For those of you who who study the Bible, you know that there's this law of first mention that any time when we're going on reading the Bible and we see something like someone being filled with the Spirit, in order to understand what that person means, we have to go back to the first time it was used. So consequently, as we go on in Scripture, we read about people being filled with the Spirit, and every time we do, in order to understand what that means, we have to go back to God filling a subcontractor who actually, in, fair, in fairness, he wasn't able to sub anything out. I mean, he's doing it all. God's gifted him in all kinds of art. And so he's cutting stone, he's building this thing, and then he's also the fashion designer making robes, and now he's making utensils, right? Usually subcontractors sub that stuff out. This guy's got to do it. God's putting his blessing on art. He's putting his blessing on artists. And he's saying that this is actually uh, significant. The first thing I want to point out from this passage in Exodus 31, uh, the first thing that's really evident, maybe you see it already, is that God calls artists by name and he gifts them. He calls them by name and he gifts them. God had given really thorough instructions to Moses. But here's the problem. God wanted it to be done skillfully. And so rather than use a prophet Moses to build it, he thought he would use an artist. Because God didn't just want his tabernacle to be functional. He wanted it to be beautiful. And let me say that again in the world of multi-purpose buildings. God didn't just want this tent to be functional. He wanted it to be beautiful. And so it was Moses' job at the prophet to get and write the instructions, but he had to get somebody with some skill to build this thing. So he calls these two guys by name. It's important that you understand that these guys weren't selected by a jury of fellow artists. It's not like all those who are artistic got together and it's, this guy's got the chops, you know. He should probably be the guy. God calls them by name. They didn't bid for this job. God calls them by name. And I know that there are artists here and you're wrestling. You thought, this can't be a call. This is a hobby. This is something I do on the side and, 
Every once in a while when the kids are in the bath, I play my guitar. It's a call from God. God calls artists. And he gifts them. And here we read him putting his divine blessing on not just the arts, but on artists. He calls them by name. Bezalel means in the shadow of God, which is a really awesome name for someone who's, who's building um, under divine direction from God. Holiab's name means my tent is Father God. Not only did he call these guys, but he called them by name. You are my two official artists. I don't want to use Moses for this. I want to call you by name. The second thing God does is he says that these guys were gifted. He calls them and then he gifts them. God does not call the gifted. He gifts the called. And he calls them and then he gifts these guys. And it says that they were skilled with ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all kinds of art. It wasn't just one thing that they were being asked to do, but all kinds of art. It's probably reasonable to believe that these guys had some sort of gifting, that something was evident to the community. I think it's reasonable to believe that they were craftsmen, but here they are getting this divine commission from God, and they're getting anointed and gifted to carry it out. What they did, they did well. And I want to say that to all you artists here. What these guys did, they did well. God has standards for what is good, true, and beautiful. These guys are called to create and not replicate or imitate. It's an important word to Christian artists everywhere. I can't take a rabbit trail at this hour. Done it! <laughs> This, you need to breathe through it, uh, this had never been done before. This had never been done before, right? And God gives Moses specific instructions, but there are certain things that was left to these guys' sanctified imaginations. They didn't know what the cherubim were supposed to look like. It was like, well, I guess we're building angels. Apparently, they're supposed to be facing each other. I hope he likes it. If there's any artist here, you know what it's like to be commissioned. And you're like, okay, they told me what to do, but like now, now I'm going to put my hands all over it, and I'm not sure, right? These guys have never seen it before. They are in some ways, if I can say this, co-creating with God. I'm going to gift you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you some specific instructions, but then I'm leaving it up to you. The fourth thing I want to say about this uh, passage is that these guys brought God glory through art. It was not art for art's sake. It was not creativity for cre creativity's sake. It was a means to an end, right? It wasn't the end. And you don't need to read on too far. You can hop to the next chapter and find out that the people of God actually fashioned a golden calf and started to worship it. And the arts can be idolatrous. They really can. We have a tendency as human beings 
to worship things that are made instead of our maker. We have a tendency to worship things that are created instead of our creator. And so what we're talking about here is not art for art's sake, but art for God's sake. Art for God's glory. These men were commissioned to do something that was going to say something about God. Every detail of the tabernacle said something about God. If you've toured the, New, the Notre Dame before, every detail, every sculpture, sculpture, everything is designed to say something about God. And so I'm commissioning you, artists, to do art for God's sake. That does not mean that your art has to be evangelistic. Please hear me. There doesn't have to be an altar call in your painting. There doesn't have to be an altar call in your song. You don't have to work John 3.16 somehow into your art. You don't bring God glory by putting John 3.16 on your art. Your art doesn't have to be evangelistic. The way in which a Christian builds a car that glorifies God is not by painting John 3.16 on the hood. He glorifies God by building a good car. Do it well, and it'll glorify God. Know that it's a means of reflecting your Creator, that when you create, you're being like your Creator who does no two things alike, that you're doing art for God's sake. Don't settle for something functional. Don't settle at all. Aspire to something good, true, and and beautiful. So to you artists, to those who are especially creative, we want you here. And I, I, I just want to encourage you this morning, risk. I know it takes risk to make yourself vulnerable. I know it takes risk to put yourself out there. Risk. We need you to risk. We need you to lead the way. We want you here. The other thing I want to say to you is that you have a role. You have a role to play here. We don't think it's just songs. We don't think it's just paintings. You have a role. In in 2 Chronicles, we read about an army being led to war by a choir. What in the world? Let's go to war. I know. We'll put the choir out in front. No, no, no. I'm, I'm serious. You artists, you lead the way. Most people just follow. You have to risk and you have to lead the way. We need you out in front of the armies of God. You have a responsibility, artists, to grow in the gift that God's given you, to grow in skill, to do what you do well. And then the third thing, or the fourth thing I want to say to you is that you need relationships. You need community. Conspire together with others. Collaborate together with others. Don't isolate, you artists. You're just going to keep getting weirder. (laughs) We need you. I'm I'm serious. We need you and we want you. We want you. You have a role to play. You have a responsibility. Live your life in relationship here. Don't isolate yourself. The reason we need you is because of the mission that's in front of us. And we're no longer a part of a literary society. You know, this whole thing started and it, it was oral. Everything that was being tr- passed on was traditions and was word of mouth and was verbal. And, um, you know, even the disciples were a part of an oral culture. And then 
It was a literary culture where what we knew and what was being passed on was being passed on through literature. That day is done. We're a part of a visual culture. And the only hope for your novel is that they make it a movie. There's some people that will read your novel. It's not done. Obviously, we're still gleaning and receiving from literature. But we're largely a part of a visual culture. It's like the Middle Ages where people are looking up at the painting on the ceiling and deciding what they believe about God. Bible literacy is at an all-time low. What people believe about God they got from the movies they watch and the music that they're listening to, they're not reading the Bible. Tozer writes this, True religion confronts earth with heaven and brings eternity to bear upon time. The messenger of Christ, though he speaks from God, must also, as the Quakers used to say, speak to the condition of his hearers. Otherwise, he will speak a language known only to himself. His message must be not only timeless, but timely. He must speak to his own generation. God wants to reveal himself to a visual culture. And I don't put it, I, I'm not putting it past him that he's going to raise up people to create films, to present things in a way, to speak to the condition of our generation, to speak in a way, because God so wants to be known. He so wants to reveal himself. He's going to speak in a language that you and I can understand. I don't know if you guys know this, but this, I believe it's this winter, um, the guys who did the Bible miniseries are release, releasing a major motion picture called Son of God. It'll be in theaters. In the spring, Darren Arnofsky, the guy who did Black Swan, is releasing Noah. Russell Crowe is Noah. Anthony Hopkins is in it. It looks super dark. I don't even know if I'm recommending it. But <laughs> as far as the whole Noah story where Noah's like painting, you know, petting animals and his boat becomes a petting zoo with doves and rainbows, that, it doesn't look like that's what's happening in this movie. <laughs> I just, God wants to reveal himself and he'll speak to the condition of his hearers. That's why he speaks English for you. That's why he speaks in an English. That's why he speaks in a language you can understand. Let's pray. Actually, stand with me. Holy Spirit, want to ask that you would give us creative ways to do what you've asked us to do. We understand the need. We understand the crisis. We understand what's going on around us. And we know that we need create creativity. We need creativity to, to even raise our kids. We need creativity to reach our world. And we realize that we've been made in your image. And I just pray for those who've decided, who've lied to themselves for years that they're not creative, I ask that that would be broken in Jesus' name. I believe that you're wanting to give us fresh ideas, that you want to give us new ways of connecting with people and new ways of communicating with people. So I pray that you do that for every heart here, for every head here. Break in, break through. Where, where the record has just been on repeat and people have just been telling themselves, I'm not like that, I'm not like that, I'm not like that. I pray that they would open up to your ability to be creative through them as they surrender to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life. I